I'd like to thank two anonymous sponsors for generously sponsoring the Shabbos Agolodrosha. One is in honor of the community and all of the chesed that people have been doing for each other and the love and the outpouring of care that we've all, uh, we've all received. Also in recognition of the chaste Hashem, the kindness that Hashem has bestowed upon us, that even in times of turmoil, we definitely see a silver lining, and we all have a hakara, we all have a recognition of the uh, awesome chaste Hashem. Also sponsored in honor of Refuah Shalema, Lechol Chol Yisrael, all of those who are suffering, all of those who are in need of Refuah, this learning as well as much other Limud HaTorah opportunities that we have uh, should work as a schus for Refuah Shalema Bekorov. I think one thing is for sure that nobody really knows what's going on. And therefore the question we have to ask ourselves is what do we do when we don't know? How do we navigate uncharted waters? Where do we go in a state of confusion? I'd like to uh, quote part of a speech probably one of the most famous speeches in history. This goes back to June 18th, 1940. Winston Churchill was being mechazek. He was encouraging his country during World War II. And he said, Upon it depends our own British life and the long cont continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in the island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be freed and the life of the world may move forward into broad and sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, and all that we know and cared for will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more prolonged by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty, and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and the Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. The chizik that Churchill was giving the British Empire at the time of World War II was yes, things are scary right now. Yes, we don't have all the solutions, then there are many problems we don't have answers for, but we can do our utmost, and therefore we must do as best as we can, and Amrit Hashem will be able to look back at this time. We, the Jewish people, we citizens of this world, we as individuals and families, and we'll be able to say, this was our finest hour. I'd like to explore one of the most troubling aspects of the Haggadah. Uh, last year we delved into this as well, and we looked into the interpretation of the Vilnagon and the Nesivas. But I'd like to have a different angle this year in Mirtzeshem. We know we have the four sons and we have the Russia, the wicked son. Russia Mahu Omer, so what does he say? Ma'avodahazos Lechem, what is this avoda? What is this service to you? Lechem Velolo. So the inference is, he's asking for you and not for himself. Says the author of the Haggadah, Because he has taken himself, he has removed himself from the community, he is denying the main principle of faith. So what's our response? How do we answer his question? Literally that means that you should blunt his teeth, the Omer Lo, and you should tell him, Hashem Hashem did this for me when I left Mitzrayim. And there the main message, says the author of the Haggadah, is leave the Lo Lo. Hashem did it for me and not for you. But if you would have been there, young man, you would not have been redeemed. What's always been troubling about this passage in the Haggadah is how can we refer to one of the children as a Russia? The Torah speaks about four different types of conversations, four different interactions that a father will have with a child. It just seems so incredibly judgmental 
and negative and critical to say one of the children will be a Russia. What defines him as a Russia? Are we talking only of a child who's older, who's well past bar mitzvah, whose mind has developed and he's mature and therefore he's actually responsible for his decisions? It doesn't sound like we're limiting the Ben HaRasha to an older child. It sounds like it means all children could fall into one of these categories. So why do we call him a Russia? Second very troubling aspect of this is what's our response? Hake Yeshina, blunt his teeth. There's a lot said on this particular comment. But what's the Pashib shot? What does that mean to blunt? Hake means to, to make weak, to take away the sharpness of his teeth. What exactly is the symbolism of his teeth? And what does that mean to blunt or take away the sharpness of those teeth? Another question is, what exactly did this kid do wrong? All we have here is that he says, Lechem. And Lechem is somehow giving us the connotation that he was removing himself from the, from the Kal. He was taking himself out of the community, and therefore he was kofer be'ikr. What does that mean, he was kofer be'ikr? How do we know that he's denied the entirety or the foundations of the Torah? And what's perhaps even more troubling is not just we refer to him as a Russia, but it almost sounds like that's innately who he is. The Torah is telling us there are four different types of children one of those characteristics or one of those children is actually a Russia. It almost sounds like it's against his will. There's a connotation here that this is his personality. And it's even clearer in the Medrash Lekach Tov. The Medrash has a very similar interpretation of the Pasuk. But the way it describes the four children is it says, Shehareha olam nivra ba'arba mido shel b'nei adam. The world was created with four different characteristics of people. Echad Rasha, Echad Chacham, Echad Tam, Ve'echad It does not sound like he's categorized as a Russia based on his evil choices or based on the terrible things that he's done throughout his life. But Ha'olam Nivra Ba'arba Mido Adam. It sounds like this is intrinsic, this is part of his nature. How in the world does it make sense philosophically to say that some human beings are created as Rishayim? Now it's interesting to note as well in the Medrash Lekach Tov, where it explains what this kid did wrong, the wording is a little bit different than the Haggadah. It writes, Lefisha Hotzi es Atzmo Min HaKlal, Shalo Amar Lonu because he removed himself from the community. He was asking, why are you doing this particular service? Here's the key word. Biyadua, it's known, shekafar be'ikr, that he has denied the main point of Torah. It sounds like according to the Lekach Tov, his removing himself from the rest of the Jewish people is a simon. It's an indication that he's already gone. He's already totally off the derech. He's already rejected Judaism. Not that this defines him as being Kofer Baker, but this is the indication that he's no longer part of us. So we'll have to explore exactly why is he called a Russia. It does not sound like he did anything to deserve this title. It very much sounds like this is his innate personality, which is extremely troubling. How could you say anyone is born a Russia? What is our response of Hake Yeshinov to blunt his teeth and to explain it was for me and not for you and if you would have been there, you would not have been redeemed? Doesn't sound like the classic Kiruv approach. Someone's in the category of a Russia, how do you bring them closer? How are you Makayim the mission of Ohev Esabrios and Makarvim Latara? You should tell them that yes, you are a loser. And if you would have been there, trust me, Hashem would never have saved you. What kind of response is that? The Gemara Nida tells us of a Malach. The Malach who is appointed on Harayo and on Conception. The name of this Malach is Laila. And this Malach famously stands before Hashem and holds up a tipa, right, the potential of every human being, and says, Tipa zum aleha. What will be of this person who's not yet created? Gibor Chalash, will he be strong or weak? Chacham or Tipesh, will he be wise or foolish? What will his IQ be? Asher or Ani, 
In what time, in what place, in what social status will he be created? All of these questions are predetermined before any human being is brought into this world. However, says the Gemara, Ve'ilu rasha otzadik, lo ka'amar. The Malach doesn't have the audacity to stand before Hashem and say, will this person be a rasha or a tzadik? Why not? The Gemara says, because we have a Klal Gadol, we have a guiding principle, this is the whole idea of Bechira, free will. HaKol Bidei Shemayim Chutz Shemayim, which means everything is determined. Everything has been predetermined for you before you were born. Your IQ, your genetics, your brain chemistry, where you're born, in what kind of family dynamic are you born into, everything is predetermined except... Russia, Otsadik. How will you choose in the realm of morality? There you have Bechira. There HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't set the stage for you. You set that stage for yourself. So how in the world can we say that somehow the world is created of four different types of personalities, one of them being a Russia? HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't make anybody a Russia. The Rambam, when he's paraphrasing this Gemara Nida, he tells us as well, Every human being has free will. If a person wants to push himself in the right direction, the path of truth, and become righteous, he has the ability to do so. And if he wants to go in a direction of evil and negativity, he could do that as well. And the Rambam continues, Don't think for a moment, like the foolish people in the world suggest, that that it's been decreed on a human being before their creation, Leo's tzaddik or Russia, to be a tzaddik or Russia. Ein hadavr kein, that is not true, says the Rambam, that is totally inaccurate. Every human being has the Bechira, Leos Tzadik, Kamosha Rabbeinu, you could choose to be a Tzadik, the same level, the same devotion, the same Messiris Nefesh as Moshe Rabbeinu, or Russia Kiyoravim, or you could be an evil, decrepit, evil, terrible person like Yoravim. O Chacham or, says the Rambam, you could choose to be wise and you could choose to be foolish. Or you could choose to be a Rachman or Achzara. You could be compassionate. You could be true, cruel. You could be cheap and stingy. You could be generous. Now it's somewhat troubling as the Rambam says, Chacham Osachal. You could choose to be smart or foolish. The Gemara didn't say that. The Gemara said that one of the things that has been predetermined is Chacham Otipesh. So the Rambam seems to be in contradiction to the Gemara. The simple answer, although this is discussed amongst the Mepharshim, the simple answer is there are two definitions of Chacham. There's the natural IQ that one is granted, and then there's the Bechira, there's the free will that I have to pursue wisdom in an honest way, with a drive, with an energy. I could create more chachma, I could develop more of that wisdom within me. But the Rambam says clearly, obviously we have Bechira, we have free will. No one is decreed to be a tzaddik or a rasha. I want to share with you a poem. This poem was actually sent to me just the other day, coming from an anonymous source. I'm just going to read to you two paragraphs that describes our feelings and our mindset during this confusion, during this time of uncharted waters. Poem reads, And now that there's nowhere and no one to meet, nothing to run to to catch, host, or greet, now that I've filtered you down to your core, who are you when there's no one to be anymore? And this very question that runs through my mind, stripped down to my essence, who will I find? Who am I, I wonder? Who am I not? And what do I do if it's not who I thought? Right? That line is so incredibly powerful. Who are you when there's no one else to be anymore? I'd like to explore the answer to this question by trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Russia? 
And we have this term all over. And usually it's translated as, you're a wicked, evil, bad guy. That's what a Russia is. But I think there's more than meets the eye. We say in the al on Yom Kippur, or through Slichos, or for Svardim every day, here shall know that we have caused the others to become Rishayim. Rishonu, that we have caused ourselves to become Rishayim. That's a pretty harsh, that's a pretty severe thing to say about ourselves. We've really caused other people to become wicked? We ourselves are, are, are classified as Rishayim? The word Russia comes up all throughout Perkeyavos. I want to go through a couple of quick examples here and we'll try to find what is the common thread? What is the Tzad HaShava? What is that undercurrent that really connects all of these different examples of the terminology of Russia? And I think we'll find something very interesting. Mishnah tells us that Hagas Libo Bahara, one who is overly confident in his pasketing. Somebody comes to you with a question and you don't think about it, you don't check into it, you just paskin, you tell them what the halach is right off the cuff in order to, uh, to show off, to let them know that you have a mastery of, of different areas. So the Mishnah says, one who does that, shota rasha vigas ruach. You're a shota, you're foolish. Right? How could you possibly tell somebody halacha without giving it some thought? You're a rasha, we're going to leave that as is for now, vigas ruach, and you're arrogant. Or perhaps you're insecure and therefore you're looking for validation. So being overly confident is one example of being a Russia. Another Mishnah Perkyovo says, going through different personalities of how I view my own property and how I view that which belongs to you. Mishnah says, if I feel Shali Shalkhov that what yours, what's yours is yours, and what's mine is also yours, that's a chasid. That means I have the, uh, the perception that everything that's yours, I'm happy for you, I feel good for you, and I just want to give you as much as I can. Shali, 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 but if my mindset is, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is also mine, then you're a Russia. So here we have another example. A Russia is somebody who wants somebody else's stuff who feels that although it doesn't rightfully belong to them, somehow they're deserving of it. Next Mishnah tells us, when speaking about different personalities regarding anger, If a person is cool, calm and collected, and it takes a lot for that person to get angry, and even when they do, it's easy to pacify them, and they don't hold on to that resentment, that's a chassid, that's a righteous person. Noach lichos v'kosha lirtzos, but if someone is always this close to exploding, he's always this close to flying off the handle, and when he does, he could stay in that way with that negativity for a long time, Russia! That's a Russia. So another example, if you're easy to anger and very difficult to appease, you're a Russia. Next Mishnah tells us, there are different types of people when it comes to giving tzedakah. How do you feel about giving charity? So some people want to give as much as they possibly can, almost to their own detriment, where they have to be told, please, ad kan yosu, you don't have to give anymore. You're doing so much for the kal. Think about yourself. And you have others where they feel, what I have is hard-earned money, I'm not going to give a dime to anybody else. And not only do I not want to give him my own hard-earned money, but I cringe when I hear about other people making donations. I don't look at that person in a positive light, but there's something that just feels so wrong about giving away your money to others. That, says the Mishnah, is a Russia. So you're stingy, you have a difficult time with the concept, and you project that on others. That's another definition or another example of a Russia. Arba Midos Madrash, another mission in a similar vein, different types of personalities when it comes to pushing themselves to go learn. 
And the type of person that says, I will not go, I will not try, I will not leave my house. Russia, again, another example of a Russia. There are so many times you could argue that someone's called a Russia. Last example we have is the Mishnah Perkyovos, where it defines the Talmidim, the disciples, or the students of Bilam. Ayin Ra, if you're always critical, you're always looking down at others. Ruach Gvoa, and you're arrogant. Vinefish Rachava, and you're never satiated. You're always wanting more. No matter what you have, it's not good enough. Mitalmidav Shel Bilam. Harasha. Then you are now Zoha to be one of the Talmidim of Bilam. So all these different examples, what's the common thread? What's the definition of a Russia? And I think there are two words that come to mind. And these two words we see in a beautiful, very deep piece written by the altar of Kelm. The two words are Avas Atzmo. Self-love. This is not to be confused. There is definitely a very healthy form of loving ourselves, of respecting ourselves, of making sure that we're giving ourselves what we need. But there's also a very, very destructive form of self-love, avas atzmo. I want to share with you a couple of lines from the altar of Kelm, how he defines a Russia. And I think with this new insight, with this new understanding of what a Russia is, all of these Mishnayas make perfect sense. The altar of Kelm quotes the Gemara in Baba Metziah. When the Pasuk recorded by David Melech says that all of the wild animals of the forest, who are those wild animals referring to? Elu Rishoyim. The Gemara tells us, that's a reference to the Rishoyim, because they are analogous to Chayo Shibiyar, to wild animals in the forest. Says the altar of Kelm, what does that mean? What is that deeper Havana that a Russia is like an animal? What's Chazal teaching us? Here Chazal are teaching us an awesome insight into human nature. If a person doesn't have the ability to feel somebody else's pain, if I can't put myself in your shoes, if I can't see what you're going through in any way, to carry your burden connected with you, feeling what you're feeling, then you're a behemoth. That's what an animal is. It's known in the, in the world of, of the wild that why or when does an animal destroy another? It's because it's not viewing that animal from inside of its own mind. It's not trying to place itself. How would that gazelle feel if I were to chase it and devour it? Obviously, I'm hungry, and my instincts are run after the food and eat it. Eilu Rishoyim, those are the Rishoyim that Chazal are teaching us, are Doma, Lechayos. They're similar to wild animals. They don't feel, they don't know what someone else is thinking. Concludes the altar of Kelm. This is the greatest of Odazara that we're challenged with. The greatest form of idolatry in contemporary society is Avas Atzmo is only focusing on myself, being confined to my own little bubble, being overwhelmed by my own life's experiences and my own relationships, and not being able to push out and beyond what's right in front of me and to think about someone else. But according to, or commensurate with, the amount I could push aside my own agenda, my own feelings, my own worldview, Corresponding to that will be my love for truth. It's when we're consumed and we're saturated with ourselves, then we can't see the emis. Then we can't see the truth. All we see is sheker. The cheshbonos, the calculations, the assessments we make. Why we do things, when we do things, what we say, what we don't say. There's always a slant. There's always a, a pull 
in the direction that will somehow benefit me. But the more I'm able to climb into your mind, the more I'm able to ask myself, what are they experiencing? How are they going through this? How is that family coping right now? I understand that things are incredibly difficult for them financially. The more I can think about you and less about me, the closer I come to truth and the farther I remove myself from Sheker. Avas Atmo. I think the most basic, fundamental definition of a Russia is not that you're wicked, is not that you're evil, is not that you're a bad guy, but a Russia means I'm consumed with myself, and therefore I can't see beyond myself. A few years ago, here in Boca, I remember getting a text from someone in the community, and then there was an email that went out that there were three siblings, a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 1-year-old. 13-year-old were boys, a 1-year-old girl, and they came from a dysfunctional family somewhere in South Florida, and they were currently living in a care center set up by JAFCO. JAFCO is the Jewish Adoption and Family Care Options. And the email stated that if they could not find a place for these three children in the next month, then likely they'd be raised by non-Jewish families. They have to give them away. And also they'd be separated. They would not stay together. Within the first 12 hours of this email, Jafko received 30 calls. 30 calls from families saying, yes, we are ready, willing, and able to take these children and raise them as our own. Yes, we are ready, willing, and able to deal with all of the trauma and all of the baggage and all of the dysfunction that the teenagers had to go through. And yes, we're ready to wake up in the middle of the night and take care of a baby that I've never met before. That was the first 12 hours. After 24 hours passed, after families in the Jewish community in Florida received this email, there were now more than 50 families that contacted JAFCO to say, we will take them. We have a place for them right here. And by Arab Shabbos on Friday after the email went out, there were over 200 families saying, yes, we want these children. Don't send them elsewhere. Over 200 families willing to take in children they'd never met before. Because how can it possibly be that you're going to raise them in a non-Jewish environment? That you might separate the siblings? Bring them into my home. We want to care for them and love them. That's an example of people being able to see beyond themselves. Everyone is overwhelmed with life. Everyone has a lot going on. We all have stresses. But Avas Atzbo brings us to the world of Sheker. It brings us to the illusion and, 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 and the deceit of this world. Ava Saherim, being able to break out of that, brings us closer to truth. Are there certain people, are there certain personalities that are born with more of a selfishness, that are born with more of a hunger, so to speak, with more of a taiva? The Gemara seems to say that, yeah, people can be born in Russia. A Russia, not in the classic sense that you're defined as an evil, wicked person based on your decisions, but a Russia in your personality. Not as a judgmental or critical condemnation, but as a, as a definition of what kind of personality and what kind of struggles I have. The Gemara in Yuma says as follows, that if anyone stands before HaKadosh Baruch Hu when they leave this world, and they try to use the following excuse. I was a tremendous Baltaiva. I had so many things drawing me in different directions. I was so consumed in this world and you can't blame me. I was very handsome, I was very attractive, and there were things that came my way that were very difficult to ignore. Says the Gemara, it's a good point. However, nobody was as beautiful as Yosef. Nobody was as gorgeous as Yosef at Tzaddik, and nobody had the challenge that Yosef did. 
And somehow he was able to muster the courage and the strength and the bitachon to get through that crazy nisoyon with the wife of Potiphar. And therefore you see it's possible. And the Gemara's terminology is Yosef Machayev Es HaRishoyim. Yosef obligates the Rishayim. Just like Hillel obligates the Aeneim, those people who don't have enough money, we can't claim, I didn't have enough time to work, I didn't have enough time to learn, rather, I was too busy working and making a living. Hillel was more poor, he was more impoverished than I was. And he could do it, then I could do it also. I can't do what Hillel did, but I could push a little further. Hillel's Machayiv the Aeneim, and Yosef is Machayev the Rishoyim. It sounds like from the Gemara, not that you did anything to make yourself a Russia, but similar to someone who happens to be impoverished, which is something that was predetermined before his conception, before his creation into this world. I might be a Russia in my personality, but that's not an excuse. Having that personality doesn't make me a bad guy. We all have different challenges. But being classified as a Russia means I have more of a selfishness. I have more of a hunger. I have more of a desire to bring things towards me and not have the ability, without a lot of work and effort, to see life from your point of view. The Rambam says that people are born with different dispositions. You have some people who are very easily angered. Not because anything they did, not because poor decisions they made, but that's how a Kaddish Baruch Hu made them. And other people are born very laid back, very chilled out. Things don't bother them. Not because they're a tzaddik, not because they've been working on bitachon for 30 years, but that's their personality. You have people who just feel above others naturally. And you have others who are naturally humble. I don't have to feel that I'm doing better or greater than somebody else. You have some human beings who are born as Bale Taiva. And no matter how much I have, no matter how much I consume from this world, I'm never satiated. I'm always hungry for more. You have other people who are just pure. They don't even eat that much. Right? People say, I'm a foodie. I enjoy good food. I love eating. And other people will say, listen, I eat because I have to. Usually those people are not Jewish. <laughs> but you have all different personalities. Your people who are going to be always pushing with aggression to get as much money and, and possessions as possible, and other people who could just care less. And they're misameach, they're happy with the little that they have, they're content. So people are born with different dispositions. It doesn't make you good or bad, objectively. It just means we have different challenges. And therefore, when the author of the Haggadah tells us that we have a Chacham and we have a Russia, the Russia doesn't mean he's evil. It's telling us his natural inclination. How do I respond to someone who's naturally selfish? What do I say to somehow wake him up out of his own little world and expand his horizons to explore with him that there's so much more than your little bubble? Wake up, get out of there. What can I say? Hakeyashinov. Blunt his teeth. So what is the remis, what is the symbolism of teeth and what does it mean to blunt them? In Tehillim we read, Zomeim Rosha Letzadik, that the Russia schemes against the righteous one, the Chorek love Shinov, and he clenches his teeth at him. It's an expression of frustration. Again in Tehillim, Russia Yirevichas, the Russia sees, and he's angry, Shinov Yachrok. Again, he's clenching his teeth as an expression of hatred or resentment. And we actually have in Shmos Rabbah 
describing Paro. When Moshe first comes and has a conversation with Paro, the Medrash tells us that his shinav, that Paro began to, to grind his teeth together, and he said, Nirpimatem, you're lazy, talking about freeing the Jewish people. What are you saying? But again, that frustration, those negative feelings were expressed in a physical way of grinding his teeth. And last but not least, we find this expression by the Mitzrim, by the Egyptians themselves. Shabbos HaGadol. We all know, and this is brought down in the Mishnah Burah, that we took their gods. We brought them into our house. We all took a seh, we took a lamb, and that was something that was incredibly dangerous because they worshipped the lamb that was one of their deities. The way the Kliyakar explains the mindset or the process of thinking of the Egyptians, quoting from the Seder Olam, he says, When the Jews took in the sheep, and they started tying them to their bedposts, and this is Bifne'am ve'eda, publicly, in front of all of the Egyptians, The teeth of Mitzrim, as we know from Tehillim, their frustration, their anger, their resentment, chaos was blunted, meaning to say they couldn't act upon it. They couldn't express it in a more real or aggressive way. Shene Mitzrim chaos, the teeth of the Mitzrim were blunted. Now in this example, and the truth is you find this in other places as well, what are you doing? What did the Jews do actively to the Egyptians to blunt their teeth? Did they yell at them? Did they scream at them? Were they mocking them? Hey guys, look what we have over here. I thought you were worshiping this. We're going to have a barbecue. Right? Ever have lamb chops? Delicious. Come on guys. Try to do something. We were doing our own thing. But because we were doing our own thing, and they couldn't do anything about it, their teeth, their aggression, their frustration was blunted. They couldn't act upon it. Says the author of the Haggadah, this is the goal when you're speaking to the Ben Harasha. Don't slap him in the face. Don't tell him that it was for me and not for you. We have to explore what that line means. But the goal is to blunt, to soften that frustration. So we say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took me out of Mitzrayim, and if you would have been there, Hashem would not have redeemed you. How does that blunt the frustration of the Ben Harasha? And what did he do wrong in the first place? So we quoted from the Lekach Tov that it's because he was saying the word Lachem, because he was excluding himself from the congregation, from the community, Biyadua, it's known that he must have rejected Judaism. But we don't have that word in our Haggadah. In the text of the Rambam, we don't have the word Biyadua, it's known. And explains, or Soloveitchik, the author of the Haggadah, based on the Rambam, has a different understanding of what that Ben Harasha did wrong. It's not that because the way you're speaking or because the way you're acting, we know you must have rejected the core of Judaism. But it's by separating yourself from the community. It's feeling that you have nothing to do with the klal. Feeling totally isolated and separated and, and doing your own thing in your own world. That is kafira. That is a rejection of the most basic fundamental principle of Judaism. It's not a simon. It's not an indication to something more severe. That is a rejection of the core principle of Judaism, which is... I need to be together with you. Being a Russia is the polar opposite of Ma Hashem Olokecha Sholmimach. What does Hashem want from us? He wants Klal Yisrael to be together. Explains of Yosef Dov Salavechik. The Rambam tells us how Polish Midarchet Sibor, one who separates himself from the community, even though he doesn't do anything wrong, he doesn't do any Avera. But he doesn't join together psychologically and emotionally with the greater Kal. He doesn't feel their pain. 
He's able to say, why should we be so careful? I'm not in, I'm not in my 70s or 80s. And if you were, would you have a different feeling? Would you be more careful? If we care about humanity and we care about our brothers and sisters, then we have to be nichnas b'tsurasan. And parenthetically, that happens to be medically wrong as well. We know there are many younger people who are suffering greatly in their 30s and 40s from this terrible virus. Says of Yosef Dol Salavechik, Ein lo chelik lolam haba, quoting the Rambam. If we're not part of the community, if we're not one with Klal Yisrael, if we don't feel the pain that they're feeling, just because we happen not to have a close relative who's suffering now, Ein lo chelik olam haba. You have no portion. You have no part in Klal Yisrael. He concludes, it's because this Russia, this son, views himself as separate, distinct, and different. It's them, and it's us, it's what they're doing, it's what the Haredim are doing, it's what the people in B'nai Brak are doing, it's what the Shuls in Muncie and Borough Park are doing, but we're different. We could argue vehemently in, in, in Hashkafa. And we could say that if you're doing something that's irresponsible, I feel terrible that this is part of Klal Yisrael. But don't think for a second that there's a them and there's an us. As soon as we start feeling that we're somehow in different categories, we're in different groups, we're in different factions, you're not part of Klal Yisrael. That's the definition of the Russia. Hake Yashinav, as you tell him, if you were there with your selfish mindset, only thinking about you and not feeling the burden, not being no say but all, not carrying that load with everybody else, you would not have been Zoha to be redeemed. I'm not telling you this as a criticism. I'm not telling you this as a shtach. Yeah, I slapped the kid in the face. If you would have been there, you wouldn't have been freed. You're trying to teach him, you're trying to blunt the, the teeth, you're trying to soften the aggression and let him know this is what it means to be part of Klal Yisrael. If you're missing this, you're missing everything. Even though you're from Bayid, you're doing all the mitzvos. But if you're not feeling the tsar, you're not mishtate, if you're not joining in psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, you wouldn't have been freed. You wouldn't have been part of Klal Yisrael. The Chafetz Chaim actually tells us, getting back to our initial question, what do we do when we don't know what to do? How do we proceed when we have no answers? Chafetz Chaim said, this conversation, this dialogue was the exact same thing that took place more than 3,000 years ago in Mitzrayim. Kishahar Yisrael b'Mitzrayim niskabzu kulam they came together, they had a meeting. I'm sure it was with social distancing, they were all six feet apart. Mishum Kulam Baguda Achas, and he's quoting this from the Elio Rabba. They joined together as one group. The Karsu Bris Yachad Shiyasu, Gumilus Chasadim Zaimza, and they made an agreement, they made a covenant that we don't know what's happening. We don't know how much longer we're going to be in Mitzrayim. We have no clue how long we'll be suffering in this crazy, surreal time. But the one thing we know is that we have to be there for each other. And explains the Chafetz Chaim, When the Jewish people realize there is no Eitzah, we have no solution, we have no way out. And things seem to be intensifying, and it's growing darker and darker, and we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And we have the President of the United States of America who is trying to stay optimistic and trying to almost downplay some of the medical world is now facing that sobering reality that these next two weeks can be painful. The CDC is projecting there could be hundreds of thousands of people who are not going to make it in these next two weeks. We don't believe that to be true. And we know Yeshua Hashem, Keheref Ayin, anything can change on a dime. But clearly it's a very scary situation. 
says, what did they do? What did they do when they didn't know what to do? They came together. And they got a solution. Their solution was, I'm going to be there for you. You're going to be there for me. And I know you must be extremely isolated and lonely because you're living alone. And the torture and, and, and the isolation, that feeling of being totally separated. You don't have the social structure. You don't have the shul to come to anymore. You're not seeing your friends in any real way. That's got to be so incredibly difficult. I'm going to go out of my way to make sure to be there for you and to call you and to ask you, how are you doing and what can I do for you? And the older couple, that they're stuck home living in fear and trepidation of walking outside and they can't have their children or grandchildren there for Pesach. To feel the tsar and to always be asking ourselves, what can we be doing for someone else? And it's been incredible. It's been incredible to see the outpouring of chesed and the creativity through all different types of connection through Zoom and Loom and phone calls and whatever it may be and carrier pigeons. Everyone's reaching out to each other in an abnormal way. Desperate times call for desperate measures and we're stepping up as Klal Yisrael. But this is the call of the hour. When we don't know what to do, we have to be there for each other. Sab Sofer tells us that one of the most powerful tefillos in the world is when I'm in the same predicament as you are. We're both in the same very challenging situation, but I'm able to put my own sorrow, my own anguish, my own frustration aside and really solely focus on you. The Gemara Babakama tells us, Anytime I'm going to ask Hashem to help you when I need that same thing, I'll be answered first. Now sometimes this Gemara is almost used as a, as a shtick. It's a game. I really want something badly, so I'm going to make sure to dive in for somebody else, but really it's coming from a very selfish place. But explains the Ksav Sofer. When a person is doing okay, and work is fine, Parnas is coming in, no uh, terrible Shalom bias problems, then to be there for somebody else is a beautiful chesed, but it's not as surprising. Because you're good, you're healthy, you're happy, so at least try to do some chesed for somebody else. You have some free time. Help out your fellow Jew. But if I find myself in that same situation that you are, and we all find ourselves in very difficult and challenging times, but nonetheless, I'm able to somehow push aside my own issues. Even if I have a personality of a Russia, that naturally I am more inclined, I am more focused on my needs, on my stuff, on my family, on my friends. But if I could somehow push that aside, and daven for you, that feel is the most powerful feel in the world. I remember seeing an interview with a father from Lakewood. You could tell just from the, uh, the conversations, a very special, very Ehrlich family. And uh, High Lifeline was interviewing the father. They had a child. They named Yosef Shalom after the great Rebbe Yoshev, Zecher Tzadik Levrocha. And the uh, cutest little boy in the world, when he was two years old, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And it was a, a dreadful experience going through the process of chemotherapy and treatments and having him in the hospital. But the father told over that there was one particular uh, girl two rooms away from his son. Her name was Devorah. And Devorah was seven, eight years old, a few years older than Yosef Shalom. And she would come in once in a while when she was allowed to, and she would check on him. And she would ask, you know, how are you doing? And she would try to make him smile, make him laugh, and they had a nice relationship. One day the father sees Yosef Shalom sitting there with the sitter in his bed, and he's davening, he's shuckling back and forth. And there's real kavana. 
So his father asks Yosef Sholem, what, what are you davening for? Assuming, he would say, I'm davening for Rafua, that Hashem should make me better. And he said, I'm davening for Devorah. She hasn't been feeling well these last couple of days, and I'm just davening Hashem should give her a Rafua Shalema. That's a tefillah. Kol mevakish rachamim al davar. That can really change the world. Chaim Velazhin will conclude with this. His son writes about his holy father. This is the introduction, the Nefesh Chaim. He said, one of the main things I learned from my father, Chaim Velazhin, the great Talmud of the Vilna Gon, is that he always had somebody else in his mind. Even when he was older and he wasn't doing well, it was the needs of Klal Yisrael. It was thinking about individuals, marriages, families, always racking his brains. How can we be helpful? How can we be creative? And if I can't do anything for you, how could I at least be mechazik you? How could I strengthen you? And writes the son of Rav Chaim the Lajin, that bizarre, my father would always be mechazek me, and he would always tell me, This is what life is about. You weren't created for yourself. We're here to help others. We're here to strengthen others. We're here to uplift others. In any possible way you can. Do what you can. Utilize your kochos. Utilize your unique personality. That's the call of the hour. Who is the Russia? The Russia very well might be many of us. Many of us have that personality. I could definitely think of people who don't have that personality, who are just naturally selfless givers. I'm probably not in that category. But the conversation to the Ben HaRussia is not, you're a terrible young man. You should feel dreadful. You should feel that you're unworthy of being here at the Seder. I recognize how you are. I know your struggles. I know that you are caught up in your own world. But I want to tell you something. I want to blunt your teeth. I want to bring down the frustration and the resentment. And there might be good reason for that resentment. I'm not challenging that. All I'm saying is that if you continue in this way, if you follow that path of me versus them, of having any level of separation of Klal Yisrael, you're denying the very core of our existence you're denying the central facet of Judaism. Therefore, we say to ourselves, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty and bear ourselves that, instead of the British Empire, but if our community and our family, Mirtashem, and our individual communities throughout the world should last for many, many, many years, and if we're in our 20s or our 40s or our 80s right now, we can be able to look back at this time and we'll have very vivid memories. And there are many unique challenges that Amir Tishem we will not have in the future, but we'll be able to say that this was our finest hour.